Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're going to turn to the Psalms and to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Uh, You'll find it on page 519 of the Pew Bibles, page 519. Uh, It's a very short psalm, and we're going to be thinking about it later in our service. Uh, You'll see that the title of the psalm is When Brothers Dwell in Unity. And then there's a little subtitle, which tells us that it is a song of ascents and that it's of David. In other words, it was written by King David. So Psalm 133, it's on page 519, just three verses long. We'll read the psalm together. And as we read it, we remember that this is God's word to us. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 133. You'll find that short little psalm on page 519 of the Pew Bibles. And as you're turning it up, let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you that we've been singing about it already today, that your word is light, that it is truth, and that it sets us free. We remember that your word reveals the way that you would have us live as your people. And so as we come to your word, we pray that we would be teachable, that you would help us to come in humility and hear what you would say to us. And we pray that you, the God of angels, angel armies, would be by our side as we study the scriptures together. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. They're awful, and it's breaking my heart. They were so good for so long. They won trophy after trophy after trophy. They were the team everybody loved to hate. Now they're the team that everybody loves to laugh at. You can maybe guess who I'm talking about. Manchester United Football Club. In my eyes, still the greatest football team in all the world. But they're awful at the moment and it's breaking my heart. Now, I know that a lot of you don't follow football and aren't really interested in it, but let me tell you how bad Man United are at the moment. Since a man called Sir Alex Ferguson left as manager in 2013, the club have spent nearly £1 billion on players, and most of them haven't been very good. The club are also now onto their sixth manager since Sir Alex. The new season started a few weeks ago. They've only played two games so far, but they've lost both and are bottom of the league. In the last game, they lost 4-0 to Brentford. You will have heard of Manchester United, even if you don't like football and aren't interested in it. But Brentford? Who are they? Well, they're a better team than United at the moment anyway. And why is that? It's not because they have more money. They don't. They don't have as many fans either. But it's because they're united. 
They're a better team because they're united. The problem at Manchester United is that all of the different bits of the club are all working separately from each other. The people in important positions aren't working well together, and that means the club is falling apart. Manchester United are awful. They are not united, and it's breaking my heart, and I kind of know that sympathy is in short supply this morning. Now, unity is something we're familiar with, whether we follow football or not. If you work in an office with other people, if you work on a building site with other people, if you work in a shop with other people, if you live in a house with other people, whether it's your family at home or your friends at uni, you'll know that it's, a difficult, it's difficult to be in a place where people aren't getting on. There can be real difficulties in the workplace or at home when people aren't united. And there can be real difficulties in churches when congregations aren't united. In our time, in our generation, there's a great need for church unity. Uh, what I mean by that is not so much churches working with other churches, denominations working together. That's good and important and has its place. But the weight of scripture on the topic of church unity is to speak of church members getting along. When churches aren't united, when church members aren't getting on, people talk. And you've heard them talk. You've heard what people have said about Christians when Christians are fighting. In our time, in our generation, there's a great need for church unity, especially following the trauma of COVID, a time when debates and discussions became so polarized and so heated. If you were to skim the Bible's teaching on the subject of unity, the unity of God's people, what you would find is that it is the heart of God that his people would be united. After all, God himself is united, perfectly existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity. Knowing that, knowing that the unity of his people is something that the Lord cares deeply about, we can say that it grieves him when unity is lacking. We could turn to several different passages which speak about this important subject, but this morning we're turning our attention to Psalm 133. It's a really short psalm. There are only three verses in it, but it speaks powerfully to us about unity, why unity is good, where unity comes from, what unity points to. All of that is covered in this little psalm. Psalm 133 is a song of ascent. You see that in the title. Psalms 120 through to 134 are grouped together by Bible scholars under that heading, Songs of Ascent. Those psalms are diverse and different and include individual and corporate laments, songs of confidence, thanksgiving hymns, and wisdom and royal psalms. The, the, the songs of ascent were used by God's people as they made their way to Jerusalem. Ancient, ancient pilgrims would have used Psalms 120 to 134 as they journeyed towards their nation's capital. What we're supposed to imagine as we read Psalm 133 are pilgrims thinking about the joy and the blessing of unity in their faith. They were making their way to Jerusalem with other pilgrims, other believers, and they were thinking about how good it was for them to go together in the same faith. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think about the blessing and joy of being united as the Lord's people. We're going to think about three things as we look at this psalm together. We're going to see that unity is a gift from God. Unity involves everyone. And unity points us to heaven. Let's think about our first point. Unity is a gift from God. Look at what it says in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 133. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. There are two pictures in this psalm. The first picture comes in verse 2. And it's a picture of an anointing with oil. It's probably quite a foreign picture for us. But in the Old Testament, it was a very, very common thing. Specifically, the picture is of the anointing of Aaron, who was the high priest at the time of Moses. Anointing was done at God's direction, in his way, with his authority. And any blessing that came from it came from God himself. So you'll see in verse 2 that the phrase running down is used twice. That's in the ESV. In the NIV, the phrase is used twice, and then there's another down on top of that. The, the emphasis is that the blessing is coming down from God. So while the picture might initially be quite foreign to us, we think about oil and think, well, that doesn't really apply or make any sense. When, when we think about it, it does make some sense. Unity is a gift that comes down from God, just a little bit like oil that was used to anoint someone. Unity is a gift from God. And it's a gift that he is required to give because we live in a broken world. We are sinners. And one of the saddest marks of sin is that it separates and creates disharmony and hostility. It takes God to overcome sin and bring harmony again. All real unity is from him. Now, as Christians on this side of the cross, we more naturally think about the unity we have through Jesus. Uh, The Old Testament picture of oil and the the pointer towards these priestly laws doesn't really make any sense. But our unity in Jesus does. There is one mediator between God and man. Jesus is the saviour who has died for us. And if we believe in him, we are united together in the same faith. The basis of our unity is greater than that of the pilgrims who who made their way to Jerusalem reciting and and thinking over Psalm 133. Now, the New Testament has quite a lot to say about Christians being united. Uh, Jesus himself had quite a lot to say about the subject too. In John 10, 16, Jesus said, So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And what he was saying was that his people will be united one day. Later in John's Gospel, Jesus prayed for his followers in his high priestly prayer, his followers then and his followers now here in Bukna this morning. And listen to what he asked his father to give them and to, to work in them. Slightly longer uh, quote here, but this is from John 17 and it's verses 20 to 23. Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. That all may be one. Jesus prays that his people would be united and he prays that the night before he goes to the cross. He knows that it's our our natural instinct, our natural disposition to argue and bicker and fight. So he prays that believers, people who love and follow him, might be one, might be united. Unity is a gift from God. It's a gift that Jesus prayed his people might have and it's something we have if we know and love Jesus. If we have faith in him, then we are united to him. 
and we're also united, united to others who share the same faith. So just as salvation is a gift from God, unity is a gift from God as well. The second thing we see in this short, snappy psalm is that unity involves everyone. Unity is a gift from God. And then secondly, unity involves everyone. Look down at verse 1 and then verse 3. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The second picture in the psalm comes in verse 3. And again, it's a slightly strange image. It's the picture of the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Mount Zion. So two different mountains. Now, a little bit of geography will help us understand the picture. Mount Hermon is the highest mountain in Israel, and it's several hundred miles north of Jerusalem. It was well known for the dew that fell on it. And here, that dew, the dew of Mount Hermon, is said to fall on Mount Zion, which isn't as high. It isn't as high as Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is about 2,814 meters high. Mount Zion is about 750 or so. Big difference between the two mountains. Like the picture of oil in verse 2, dew comes from above, and, and that picture reminds us about the unity, that reminds us of the unity that comes from God. But the slightly different point verse 3 is making is that the dew is for little Zion as well for great Hermon. Unity involves everyone. It affects everyone and it benefits everyone. When a country, when a nation, when a church, when a family is at peace, it benefits everyone. It doesn't just benefit the important people, the strong people. It benefits everyone, especially the small, the unimportant and the weak. One of the most interesting things about this psalm is the author. We're told that it is a song of ascent and that it's a psalm of David. It was written by King David. Now, we're not told when David wrote it, but most people think that it was written before his adultery with Bathsheba. Because before that, there was peace and unity under his rule. Uh, 2 Samuel 8, 14 and 15 tells us that the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Unfortunately, that unity and equity didn't last. David commits adultery in 2 Samuel 11 and in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet tells him, the sword shall never depart from your house. And in the chapters that follow, the house of David is divided and broken. The unity that he enjoyed and wrote about became a distant memory. Unity involves everyone you see. When a country, when a church, when a family is at peace, it benefits everyone. And because it involves everyone, it means that we have to work hard at it. As I said at the beginning, when the Bible talks about unity, it's not so much talking about churches working together. That, that unity is relatively easy to organize and it has some real benefits. But so often when we talk about unity, we end up saying churches just need to come together. They just need to work together. And that's kind of because we're attracted to big crowds. We want church to look big and important and influential. But when the Bible talks about church unity, it talks more about people getting along together, people forgiving each other, people caring for each other, people from different backgrounds, people with different political beliefs, people with different incomes working together. This kind of unity is much harder to achieve. It's harder work. 
One person I read this week says, aiming at real unity within a church is a much greater challenge than attending ecumenical events between churches. It's a much greater challenge because it's messy. What makes it messy is the fact that we're sinners. And by nature, sinners argue and fight and bicker. This kind of unity is much harder to achieve, but ultimately, it comes from God. It runs down from heaven like oil on the beard of Aaron. It falls from heaven like the dew falling on Hermon and Zion. The the unity of God's people is a sign of God's rich blessing. So the question is, are we willing to give ourselves to deepening our bonds of unity? As a congregation, we've been, been blessed with unity for many, many years. And that was particularly evident on Monday night as we had the congregational meeting about the building project. Those who were there were united in wanting to move forward. Well, what's required of us, especially as we begin a new church season, the most exciting church season yet, the church season during which we will finally break ground and start work, what's required of us is to work hard on being united. We can't achieve it by ourselves. We have to ask the Lord to help us. We need to ask him to give us the grace. We need to to work through all of the applications of this. It might be messy at times, but we've got to work on it. It needs to be high on our prayer list because the evil one will be working to disrupt our unity and disrupt our church family. Unity is a gift from God and unity involves everyone. There's one final thing we need to see in this psalm and it's that unity points us to heaven. Unity points us to heaven. Look at verse 1 and then the end of verse 3. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Some things are are good for us, but not pleasant. So think of a child who, who won't eat their vegetables. They are good for them, but the child's main objection is that broccoli just isn't very pleasant to eat. Or think of going to the dentist. It's good to get your teeth checked regularly, but it isn't pleasant, especially when the dentist uses that, you know, that scraping tool to, to clean the plaque off your teeth. It makes me shiver just thinking about it. Uh, on the other hand, some things are pleasant, but not good for us. So think of chocolate cake. It's pleasant to eat a big wedge of chocolate cake that has been heated in the microwave and has a, and has a side of ice cream, but it's not good for us. Some things are good for us, but not pleasant. Some things are pleasant, but not good for us. But church unity is both. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. We could say when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Do do, do you notice how at the end of the psalm, David mentions life forevermore. But, But by doing that, he's saying that unity points us to heaven. Because what will God's people be in heaven? perfect, holy, complete, satisfied, all of those things, but we'll also be united together forever in perfect harmony. On holidays, we were at home for a bit and we spent a bit of time at my mum and dad's caravan just outside Kilkeel. And one of the things that we did while we were there was kayaking. I was out in the sea three or four times and because the weather was so good, the sea was very calm and the views were incredible. On one of the times I was out, I stopped to admire the view from the sea to the land. So the caravan site was in the foreground, the moorns were in the background, and the sea was like glass. It was smooth and calm. 
And all I wanted to do was bottle the air. Do you ever want to do that? Bottle the air of a place that's, that's close to your heart and just take it out every so often and just take a whiff of it. When churches are united, when churches experience unity, there's a sense in which we're getting, the, getting a whiff of the rarefied air of heaven. Unity is a gift from God. Unity involves everyone. And unity points us to heaven. One of the reasons we should, we should chase after and strive for deeper unity is that it'll be attractive. Unity is a bit of heaven now. And if word spreads that our church is united, that there's a good atmosphere and, and spirit among us, that we're knowing and experiencing the presence of God, then others will want to join us. It turns out you can pack quite a lot into three verses. You read this psalm and you think, well, there's not much to it. It's very, very short. But it speaks powerfully to us about unity, why unity is good, where unity comes from, and what unity points to. The challenge for us is to work all of this out in our individual lives and also in the life of our church family. Unity is a gift from God. Unity involves everyone. And unity points us to heaven. In our time, in our generation, in the next season of the history of our church family, there's a great need for church unity. It's the heart of God that his people would be united. And when his people are united, it's a sign of his rich blessing. There's one final thing to notice from this psalm, one one final strand of application to consider. And it comes from lingering on the words of the, the words good and pleasant in verse one. So it begins, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Good, good is a word that we use all the time, but in terms of a description of something, it's really quite basic. If Manchester United were good, I would be happy enough to be honest, but Man, Man City and Liverpool are great, so good isn't really that helpful at the moment. What, what, what does David mean when he uses the word good? What's he saying in verse 1? Well, I think he's saying this. He's saying that when he was with the Lord's people, when he worshipped with them, when he experienced the presence of God coming down, he felt and thought, this is how things were meant to be. That This is the kind of relationship I was created to have with God. The sad thing about not knowing God, the sad thing about not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is that you will probably never discover that the way you're living is not the way things are meant to be. It's quite a profound thought. Because so often we just accept our way of life as normal. But if you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced the good life, so to speak. Let me say this as clearly and as lovingly as possible this morning. If you don't experience the presence of God when you come to church, if you come to church and it just passes you by, if you come to church and you're, you're more interested in, in who's there and what they're wearing or who they're with, if you come to church and you don't know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're still to discover what life was really meant to be like. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says that he has come so that we might have life and have it abundantly. If you don't know Jesus, you haven't really lived, not properly not fully. In that way, we can say that it's a very good thing to be a Christian. And that's not me saying that Christians are all goody two-shoes. But what's clear from this psalm is that it's a good thing to know and love and follow the Lord Jesus. So, Some of you are here this morning 
and you're not following Jesus. And you've been in church for years and you've heard the gospel. It's been clearly explained, set before you, and you still haven't responded in faith. While it's a good thing to be a Christian, we can say the opposite is also true. It's a bad thing not to be a Christian. For those of you who aren't Christians this morning, can I invite you to come and trust Jesus, to be united to him through faith? If you don't know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're still to discover what life was really meant to be like. As we thought with the kids, it's a great thing when people who love Jesus work together. Unity is a gift from God. Unity involves everyone. And unity points us to heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word again to us. We thank you for this short psalm and for all that it has to say to us. Father, in so many ways, your word surprises us because when we read short psalms like this, we think, well, that doesn't have much to say to us. But we thank you for how clearly Psalm 133 speaks to us. And we pray that moving forward, we would be united together as a church family. Help us to be excited about the future, excited about a new season starting in our church life, and also excited about the prospect of the building project starting too. Father, please be with us and please give us grace in the weeks and months that lie ahead. And we pray too for those who haven't yet trusted in Jesus. We pray that they would come to know the good life, so to speak. Life in all its fullness. That through trusting in Jesus, they might finally begin to live. Father, bless us this evening as well as we meet as your people. Continue to deepen our bonds of unity. And we pray all these things in the Saviour's name. Amen.